Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. I am one of your hosts, the very healthy Matthew Chanella. And I am MJ Peters. Yes, Matthew does not have his normal uh, pep in his step today. Yeah, I'm definitely nursing a bit of a cold. Thanks, new school year. Um, but regardless, I'm really excited to have on um, our guest today, who is Lindsay Ojeda, who's the director of marketing at Maysteel Industries. And I'm going to let Lindsay explain a little bit about her journey. But Lindsay and I have been talking back and forth now for a couple months. She's been doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. And we just kind of chatted just to introduce each other. And I was just super impressed at her approach to marketing, especially um, marketing for an industrial company, just the this the hellacious bend of owning a revenue number, the product marketing background. And I just there's no way I couldn't ask Lindsay to come on the show after spending, you know, a couple 20 minute sessions just getting to know her a little bit. So Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And that was quite an intro. So I, I hope my intro for myself uh uh, leads up to that as well. So Lindsay Ojeda here. I'm with uh, Maysteel Industries, the director of marketing. And my background was I accidentally fell into uh, industrial marketing early as a uh, Marcom specialist. Maysteel was actually one of my uh, first first shots out of the gate in the professional world. And I ended up back there eight, now almost 10 years later into my marketing career as director of marketing. So really focused on uh, on winning and how we tie sales and uh, marketing to a revenue number. Awesome. Um, so we've got a really good agenda teed up here. Um, we're going to kind of take the audience all the way through from foundations of like, how do you even start taking ownership of a number all the way through, once you've got a strategy in place aligned around that number, how do you look at experimentation? So let's start with the foundations, Lindsay. Um, first four things when you uh, approach owning a number, we got metrics, we got budget, we got team, and we've got alignment. Take me through how you think about each of those things when you jump into a new role and own a number for the first time. Yeah, I mean, number one, and, and even before sales alignment, sales alignment is always number one, because if you don't have your sales team on board, and you're not relating to what matters to them, um, it really doesn't matter what you do with your team and your budget, but even above sales alignment is your buy-in from your leadership, right? So uh, typically your sales and marketing will report into, you know, let's say an EVP and you need that person to be ready to hold both accountable to this number and really kind of, uh, kind of encourage this relationship, right? I always hear about friction between sales and marketing, uh, but really, you know, it's a teammate side by side. And I look at my marketing department almost like their in-house agency, and we're both going to the sales number. So first and foremost, sales alignment. And that goes all the way down to the basics, right? Like, what does a good lead mean to someone? What is an MQL? If you don't even have those basics uh, in line, you're going to be speaking different languages. And that makes it really hard to get good sales alignment. So I, I picked out two metrics that you started talking about there specifically. Uh, one was your sales number and one was an MQL. So so I know there's probably a couple of more metrics that you look at in between there, but how do you go about defining each of those metrics and what are the, the key metrics that you look at from end to end? Yeah, so we'll start with MQL because I think this can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. 
we put in place an actual qualification system. So we're actually having those conversations. We put together um, the questions that even an inside seller would ask, and I'm having those conversations, uh, or the sales team are in an early stage to say, is this person ready to talk to sales? Almost like a revenue-based marketing model, uh, but we're still in the uh, demand gen marketing hands to sales funnel type. Um, and then from a number, I mean, that's that's a few different numbers, right? You're looking for your overall financial goals for your company. Now, I'm not going to get into specifics, but also what are the specific revenue goals that your sales team has uh, and starting to share those goals? So um, I heard you mention, I think, that you actually sit on sales calls and, and that's part of your process for developing the questions that a seller would ask to qualify a lead. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're a small marketing department. We're a, a lean manufacturing company, right? Um and my onus to myself is if I can't ask the questions and have a sales conversation like our sellers would, I have no business being behind the brand and carrying the brand message. So part of that was going through the sales training with my sales team, what to ask, what to look for, what to listen for, right? What are those those key flags that really tell you this is a good opportunity or this could be a vanity number, right? I could put that in my, hey, we had five MQLs uh, and no one may know the better because I'm just fluffing up that number. Uh, but I like to make it real and actually go into, is this a good fit for our team, our capabilities, and am I able to have that conversation? So sales started the list and then it's been refined as we go through the process. And, and the customers love it too, right? It's it's nice when right now time is a huge currency in the manufacturing market. People are looking for new sourcing solutions. Um, they're looking for new supply chain solutions. They don't have a lot of time. They don't want to waste their time talking to the wrong supplier either. Nice. Tell me a little bit about the team. So you said you're a small lean team, which means you only have so much resource to bring help around you. What do you prioritize when you're building your team? Yeah. So, I mean, when I look at my team, I've always said, when you look at a lean team, there are a few things that you need to look at. One, what do you need in-house, right? Um, what are the key core components? And for us, a huge part of that is content in brand strategy. Uh, and the reason why is because for us, that really steers the ship. So it's myself, a Marcom specialist, and then we also utilize an agency for the things that uh, we would love to have in-house, but I'm sure many smaller marketing departments have the same thing. There wouldn't be as much value as keeping someone in-house uh, on the books like that. So uh, what kind of agency support do you specifically get with your team right now? So right now, the biggest thing is paid ads. Uh, and the reason being is I I always say these few things, you know, when you go through, uh, when you go through your first marketing interviews and things like that, you want to be everything to everyone. And the first thing I always say is I'm not a designer, 
right? So I always outsource for design because I truly think that all design and marketing and creative is a is an art, just like content is an art. Maybe I could use Canva, uh, but it will never really last up to the design from, from a designer's eye. And then the second is that paid search component. And the reason being is I truly think this is one of the areas uh, where it pays to be specialized and the knowledge that, that those team members have behind it. I don't have the bandwidth to really become right that subject matter expert. And that would be a team member that I would specialize on my team. This is fascinating, MJ, because this is the same thing that you harp on all the time, isn't it? Just just knowing what to outsource or? Well, I was just saying like demand gen is probably the, one of the few things that you could effectively outsource, whereas you think content would be harder to outsource. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think that demand gen, it's just it, the way I think about it is the balance between like technical expertise and subject matter expertise. Technical expertise in this case being how Lindsay described design of like domain expertise, right? Um, and I just think demand gen, um, is weighted heavily enough toward technical expertise, platform expertise. How do I set up and optimize and pace budget and all this? Um, whereas content, yes, there is an element of, you have to be an expert at creating compelling content and interviewing subject matter experts. But I think there's enough of it that's weighted towards like, you just have to really know your customer. Whereas, you know, in demand gen, you, you, it's beneficial to know the customer as well. But that technical to customer knowledge ratio is more favorable in my mind in demand gen. Lindsay, thoughts on that? Yeah, no, completely. And that's why I also say when someone says, hey, you know, we're hiring a director of marketing or we're hiring a Marcom specialist in-house, uh, you know, they shouldn't ever expect their budget to go down by doing that. And what I mean by that is those exact same things. You're still going to be outsourcing for those technical expertise areas that you don't have in-house, but you'll be spending more wisely. But that doesn't mean you're going to cut budget. It means you may actually spend more, uh, especially from the demand gen portion when you have this paid search expert at your fingertips. How does uh, your budget, you mentioned paid ads, how does your budget for um, campaigns, whether that be paid digital ads or print ads or events, how does that budget compare to what you're spending on um, overhead, i.e. like the agency fee and like your salaries you're paying internally? Is it like one to one? Is it two to one? How do you think about that? You know what? When I look at what we spend right now, I'm trying to think about a good way to put it into perspective. It's definitely not. Um, you, you know what? I'd have to say we're definitely putting much more right now into uh, into not even the paid ad, but more the experience portion of it, right? Because a paid ad is only as good as what you uh, where you send it, right? Uh, party's only as fun as, as where it's hosted. So I'd say right now from paid, I mean, I'm trying to think of how to put it probably a, a one-to-one. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good ratio in manufacturing. I think in, in SAS, you see a lot of three-to-one, two-to-one type stuff, but um, I, I also think the value of product marketing or, or the value placed on product marketing and, and product management and how marketing plays a role in product management and manufacturing just means that you end up spending more on salaries and, and less on campaigns. Matt, I know you've got something you want to jump in here with. Well, actually, you were, you were going to you were letting me segue into the next sort of thing I want to touch on, which was the 
the items you undertake after your foundation was established, which would be the aspects around you know market research and things like that. So, I mean, Lindsay, you want to you want to touch base on kind of how you go about, you know, once you establish that foundation, once you know your key, your key metrics, once you get that alignment, once you've built the team, like what, what are the first things you're doing once you kind of have those foundational aspects in place? Yeah. So once we have the foundation, I mean, you're still going through a deeper dive in sales alignment, right? That never really stops because you're going through uh, a cultural change. So I know I keep saying like revenue-based marketing, um, but you're going through a different way about thinking of marketing. You're taking this idea that marketing is this intangible and making it real. So a continual evaluation of things like KPIs, right? Um, funnel stages. Do you have the same funnel? There's a lot of back work and backbone that goes into making sure you're even measuring it the same. And then once you have all that piece figured out, right? Are we going to even meet every Monday or every Tuesday? It seems silly, but you have to get that stuff done. Uh, you go into your tech stack. All right. Um, I am going to be totally honest. I'm like kind of not the type of person that ever has a master plan. Um, so like I'm definitely a Myers-Briggs P, not a J. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if everyone's going to get that illusion, but um, I don't necessarily go into a new segment or a new marketing role, like with total alignment with sales. Like I feel like I kind of got to get my hands dirty and get my feet wet and see what kind of leads come in and how they move through the sales process before I have a good enough idea about how to define those stages. So um, is that kind of how you do it too? Or do you have more of an upfront planning process? Cause I don't necessarily think I have the right answer here. I'm just curious to see how do you, how do you define that stuff before you necessarily get started with the marketing plan and generating leads? Oh, completely, completely. So, I mean, when we're talking sales alignment, especially if we're talking about like entering a new company, I mean, at that point, you're literally just trying to see exactly what you said. What is the current state, right? How does it work? Uh, get on phone calls with my customers. What are they saying? Get on calls with, and that's happy and unhappy customers, right? Because then you get that source of learning that is deeper diving into market research. Um, that is testing some of the theories that they have, right? Let's say we're in market A. I'm going to visit this show and really talk to the people about market A. And I think the funny thing that a lot of marketing people, uh, don't take advantage of is people are willing to talk. If you're at these shows and you're in a new company who's expanded to a new market segment, it's really okay for you to ask the question and disarm them with, hey, I'm new to this segment. I'm new to this space. Let's talk. What are some of the pain points? What are you seeing? Who are some of the big players? And I think a lot of marketing people would be surprised uh, that they're willing to tell you almost everything you need and really help you validate because that's also what your sales team is looking for you to do, right? They're looking at it from a sales perspective. Uh, what's the go get in that market? What's the total uh, spend that their targets are looking for? But you're the one on the ground having these conversations of, hey, so we call it this, right? Uh, I went to this show, they called it something completely different. So if we're going to go out to them with a market message, calling them something they don't relate to, that that's not going to work. So my favorite thing about going through, you know, a 10-year marketing process is when you start a position for the first six months, being able to say, I don't know, but I'll find it out. 
Yeah, it's so true. I think even marketers who've been at their jobs for a long time or just maybe waking up to the idea of talking to the customers more often, you're you're still free to go hand in hand and go, hey, I'm just trying to learn a little bit more about my market segment and wondering if people are willing to talk to me. But the pushback I see on that, uh, still, I, I'm surprised by it continuously. But I just, yeah, I mean, MJ and I have talked about talking to customers and market research uh, probably since the first show. But I just still am endlessly surprised at the number of not just marketers, but companies that don't do it. Right. Or even interact with them, right? Uh, if they're having good stuff, they're having wins. Um, it's it used to be frowned upon, especially in the manufacturing space of even social interactions. Yeah. So, Lindsay, I heard you mention six months in in your previous answer. Like six months is the amount of time where it's like I don't know, but I'll find the answer. Uh, is six months like a critical milestone for you? What is your what is your timeline look like from new enroll to like I've got a plan and I'm testing stuff and and we're close to figuring out the right formula? Yeah, so I think six months is the time when you get a good feeling for the company. And by that milestone, you should also know if you're behind the company, right? You're behind the brand. Um, you also have an entire list of go-gets by this point, right? Um, you've collected all the asks from the departments, and you should be also having multi-department conversations. You shouldn't just live in marketing and sales uh, in biz dev, you should be having finance conversations. You should be having ops conversations. You should be bringing cross departments to have these conversations. So by six months, I've got a list of go-gets and I've got at least enough knowledge of the company to start working towards short-term wins. So that's really what that milestone is. And you need to have those short-term wins. So I know people will argue with me on this and say, what about your documented marketing plan? Companies who are more successful have a documented marketing plan. Um, companies who are more successful have documented buyer personas. Yeah, they do. And this, But this is just part of the milestone. And this is when you start putting that groundwork for when I want to have my buyer personas done, when I want to have uh, my documented marketing plan and strategy done. But at this point, if you just have a one-page strategy that's somewhat pointing you due north, towards how do we get to these goals or are these goals uh, attainable, achievable, those types of things. That's really all I look for at six months. You know, we're not going to move the needle, especially on large opportunities until about a year and a half, uh, two years in. But that doesn't mean you'll have some great, you won't have some great short-term wins in, in the meantime. So I have to ask about that because I, first off, I completely agree with you, but I know when you're talking to your EVP or you're talking to your leadership, that kind of expectation setting is bound to get a lot of pushback. So how do you how do you strike that chord with them? Right. So I mean, the one thing is just being completely transparent. So, you know, when you look at marketing metrics and why I tie them to revenue or I tie them to a sales goal is because those short-term wins can still be pretty darn big. A lot of times, even when you're entering a manufacturing company, even how you reframe where we are and hitting these milestones, right? Hey, we're not going to see exponential growth till year you know, one and a half, year two. I'm going to be completely transparent with the milestones that we're going to hit in the meantime. And I'm going to find a way to showcase this to multiple departments as well. 
Okay, I am so with you on this concept of notch a couple of quick wins. So I want to bring this to life for the people listening to this. What are some specific quick wins that you have gone out and and secured on behalf of your company from a marketing perspective that helped you on your road to achieving longer term goals? Yeah. I mean, number one, wins from MQLs, as in wins hitting the sales pipeline from MQLs, right? That's the strongest. Now, to be able to do that early on before systems and tech stack were in place, there was a lot of manual work. But being able to directly, quickly tie a MQL to pipeline to close to lifetime value, you know, three years down the line, that was the quickest win. Now, the second portion is what a lot of marketers, uh, a lot of marketers don't really understand it, making it real is also just showing them the baseline of where they are, but not in a way uh, that's you know it all. It's so easy to edit other people's work and come in, but being able to baseline, even show them their web metrics, right? Show them their paid search results. Show them where they were and how quickly you you can get to at least a path of where you want to be. Yeah, um, I... I love the idea of literally just showing people what's going on and what's possible. Like you can really open minds that way. Like even me coming in and saying, you know, like, let's put in HubSpot. Here's what it can do. Here's what I did with it at another company, like, and getting those more like process oriented, technology oriented members of the sales team, like talking about that stuff and thinking about it. They're like, whoa, this person's going to drag our marketing and sales processes into the 21st century. And we're pumped about it. Even if you haven't done it yet, like you can get people excited that way. The one that I would add that I think any marketer can do at any level of the organization without budget and buy-in is talk to four or five customers and come back with a, with a true insight that the product team or the engineering team or the executive team doesn't know because the executive team especially doesn't talk to customers enough and they know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? The funny thing is, I will have to say this is, is mine all definitely comes also from that top down buy-in, right? Uh, having a leader in a, in a CEO who believes in, in marketing, having an EVP who believes in marketing. Uh, and from my perspective, you know, being kind of in a unique situation where my leadership team does speak to customers, even being able to validate that with the same people they're talking to. I heard this, is this what you're hearing, right? So even adding on to that of, being able to contribute, being able to add on, being able to gain another perspective because I am, hey, I'm the new marketing person coming in is also a really cool experience to say, I, I can do this. I mean, it's it's kind of scary going on your first customer call because they expect you to be able to talk like how your sales team talks. Yeah, I also love, I love you bringing the qualitative sort of findings into it, which I think is is. In, in many ways, tells the story better than even the you know the, the quantitative metrics. Yeah. On the, I want to go back to the quick wins real quick, just to comment. Like, I love how you started on internal processes and like you know the MQL uh, to to pipeline that whole handoff and just optimizing around that and making that better. Like that's something that any marketer, no matter where they're at in their company, can look at and improve upon immediately um, mm-hmm. if, they, if they look at it close enough. And it doesn't cost you anything other than your time. 
and your and your effort in working with your sales team to try to make that handoff a lot better. Um, I just I just think that's a, that's a really that's a really quick easy win that you can get uh, to starting out in an organization marketing. And you know what you nailed on the head is it doesn't have to cost money. Now I'm sure people you know will argue up and down in their different markets where it is harder uh, to figure this out. Let's say if you're going through like a distribution model, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it's as simple as an Excel spreadsheet, right? And understanding going back to and working with your sales team, what is a large opportunity? And maybe you only track a threshold your first year because you're manually tracking it in an Excel spreadsheet, but you're making sure that you can report on that. Right. I think another thing is just like, for me, one of the things that has drove me nuts when I started at the welding company was just the speed to lead, like just the follow-up taking so long and like just being able to improve upon that, like getting in, getting back in touch with that high intent lead, like super quickly, just exponentially increases the possibility that you're going to get that person into a real sales conversation. Completely. Completely. Uh, so we've talked about setting up the foundation. We talked about defining the metrics. We talked about sales alignment. We've talked about customer research and getting comfortable with the market. Um, now I want to talk about when the rubber hits the road. So um, just as an example, when I started at Firetrace, um, first like nine months, it was customer research, build the team, segmentation, positioning, all that good foundational stuff we've been talking about, a little bit of tech stack. And then I did three things. I did website and then I did um, like paid social. Then I did SEO. um, And then eventually we did PR later as an experiment. So website, SEO, paid social, PR. Um, That's an example of like which four tactics did we do in what order. Uh, How do you go about thinking about which tactics should I start trying and when is it appropriate to introduce a new one? How long is it going to take one to get up and running? All of that stuff. Right. Right. So the nice thing is this all goes to that six month mark, right? I wouldn't touch anything and unless it was a burning platform until at least that six month mark. So that's the first thing is when do you feel is like your uh, clock going off and saying, hey, it's time that I can make an educated guess on this. And before even deciding what tactic it is, you know, one, what's the buy-in? Two, is it going towards this tangible goal that I can make real, right? And then three, do I have the resources for it? So coming into any new company, you're not guaranteed to get a brand new budget, right? Let's say you come in half year Let's say you still need to prove the value and the ROI of marketing to get that budget. So that's everything I do first. But then, you know, MJ, I agree with you a thousand percent. What's the biggest value that I'm going to get, especially in year one? And for us, it was obviously the website. So I know it sounds silly when I when I said the party example, uh, but your website is your house. It's your content house. It's your uh it's your search link juice. It's everything that's going to bring in your demand gen marketing machine. So that's what I started with as well. And the other reason being is I could easily prove those numbers, right? Um, I could easily show analytics. I could easily explain why numbers are changing. 
I could also have that qualitative feel good of work is being done. And that's the hardest part about marketing. It's like IT, right? Some of it's this invisible work, but when they can see work is getting done, rubber is hitting the road, it makes it easier to continue to do that VOC. It makes it easier to continue that market research. So now we have this house, right? So you went with paid social, we went with paid search. And that's just from an overall uh, traffic analysis and, and where we thought we could continue to get those quick wins. And then to an SEO perspective to follow that up, knowing that would take longer and the paid search would supplement that during that time, uh, we went to SEO next and said, what can we reuse? What can we uh, retire in, in where do we need new? And that's when we went for a completely content-focused approach. And and I think sometimes everyone tries to boil the ocean with these tactics, but if you can't move those tactics back to your due north, and sometimes it's as simple as, is this driving new revenue? Is it? And if you can't answer that question, will my website project drive new revenue? Will my paid search? Will my SEO? And is it? then you probably should go back to the drawing board on, on the strategy. I do like very much how you prioritize it one after the other, because something like one of the things you see, or I, I see a lot of our clients try to do, and I see a lot of one person or, or small marketing team try to do is try to do three or four things at once before they master kind of one thing or, or get very proficient at it before moving on to the next tactic. And I think, First off, starting with paid search and then going to SEO just makes a lot of sense just from an order standpoint. Because when you're running paid search, you can actually see what keywords convert for your business. And then that informs what you should do organic content around the first place for your website, right? So obviously, like there's so much complementary things that go into that that allow you to make really good decisions for your other tactics. And if you am I spending enough time on the one tactic before moving on to the next, you're able to take those lessons and apply them to the next tactic. And then that has a much better success rate as a result. Yeah, you you nailed it. You completely nailed on that. And then also, you know, how you build that relevant content. I feel like a lot of manufacturing companies, you know, we have to do print, we have to do trade shows, we have to do all of this. Honestly, a lot of it can be built from that house, from that content house, from your your blog, from branding your blog. That's an entire project in itself. Um, I will just jump in here and say um, for the listeners that we didn't come back around really to paid search until after we had already nailed SEO, paid social, and PR. And it was a mistake. Like I, if I did it again, I would have done paid search earlier. So um, I'm in line with Lindsay and Matthew on that. Don't worry. If um, you would have seen my early, my early social, uh, we tried to get into it early and, uh, and, and abandoned it and came back to it. So it's, it's all a lesson of learning. Um, tell me, is there anything that you feel like is a trap or a mistake or something you have learned to avoid during this whole process? Honestly, it's social. And the reason I say social is because to be relevant and move the needle on social, you really, truly need to understand your buyer. Uh, you need to understand your audience. Um, social is very easy to move metrics one way or the other, but it also gives us that instant gratification of, hey, everyone likes this. 
you know, I, I always go back to early, you know, 2012 when I ran my first paid Facebook campaign and I was like, man, look at all these people it's reaching. It wasn't reaching the right people, right? Uh, we just didn't know enough about it. So I would say social, take more time, really understand or go through a paid so social approach before really approaching a revamp on any organic or even expanding your platforms. You can limit your platforms and that's okay. Yeah, um, totally agree there. There's also like so much advanced targeting stuff to get into with paid social that um, it can be a trap. Like you kind of need a certain budget to really make it work because your, you know, acquisition costs might be, I don't know, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000. It's like, that's fine if you're making a hundred K in revenue off of it, but it does mean that you probably got to spend more than that every month if you want to acquire more than one customer. Um the other thing is organic social. Like it takes a ton of work to even get one organic social platform, right? Like my team at Refine Labs is, is three people and we do two, two organic social channels. We do a podcast and we do organic LinkedIn. So probably people I would guess bite off more than they can chew and try to be on like Bingo. six organic marketing channels with the two person marketing team. They also try to export what they do on one channel to the other one when it's, right. it's, it's a different execution, right? especially now with like what some social networks do, like Facebook's moved or one related groups and LinkedIn thought leadership still works, but it's harder. Uh, it's just, it's just, you just have to look at the channels and how people do content there. Like it's, it's crazy to see how much humans have been conditioned to behave on these social platforms differently, but you have to understand that to execute a good social strategy. Right. Right. Completely. And even when we look at, you know, kind of the emphasis where we talked about where we outsource and what we have in house, I mean, social is in-house, and that goes back to that brand voice. My my Marcom specialist and myself, uh, we work through the social, and we do have you know eight social channels right now. So even then, it's who's getting the love, right? One of these channels is getting the love, and if it's a different audience and a different message and, and everything that happens, obviously, when they all try to develop a different level or type of story and, and all that fun stuff. And it's just learning, you know, where do you, where do you give the love and where do you spend your time and energy? And you can't do it all. For sure. Absolutely. All right. I, I do want to seg segue here into uh, something I think you do really well, Lindsay. And I think a lot of people struggle with in the roles, which is the relationship and the conversation with leadership. So uh, as my notification goes off, sorry about that. So I want you to, I want you to describe to the audience sort of how you have the conversations with leadership, the, how often you meet with them, how you discuss, review, talk about the results. And I really want to hear you kind of describe how your approach is different when the results look good or when they don't look good and how you, you know, how you talk, how you talk through that and, and still give the leadership team confidence that you're on the right course if you still feel you are. Yeah. So, you know, I always call out home court advantage and unfair advantage is I do have a very trusting leadership team, right? They hire people to be in that position because they trust their experience. Uh, but the number one thing when you approach leadership with anything, especially, you know, marketing is just understanding how to quickly give them that view, right? So even if you were to look at my my slide deck that I present every month, uh, it's a view that's a higher view, but I'm also able to provide any other detail and supporting documentation as they need it. So I think that's just the number one thing that marketers, including myself, 
have struggled with is we try to go to them with everything, right? We want to share the new campaign. We want to share uh, how we broke it out. Now we are, have a really great performing campaign. Um, we want to share these new photos that we took. We want to share the video when really we have to bundle it up into this digestible piece that again, ties back to what matters. The second portion of that is just being very clear and working with them on your strategy. You know, my leader that I have has a part in the marketing strategy. It's not like I'm working in a silo. So there are no surprises when things come up, such as budget or spend or why we need to spend this in our website roadmap. Everything is very transparent. Uh, so it flows together. What do we need from the sales team? So involving them in those processes instead of presenting to them them makes a really, really big difference. And then I actually present once a month a complete overview of what we worked on for the month, where we are on those goals, which unite with our sales goals as well. Uh, and I don't just do this for my direct leader. I do this for cross-functional departments as well. So ops, uh, I send it to finance, HR as well. And the big thing is, again, just being transparent right? If something's working and you're getting those W's and you're having a great year, enjoy the success, but also be ready to pivot on that point as well on how you're going to keep it going because you can expect your number to get higher. When we do take the L or we have a conversation on something that's not going well, be prepared again to understand and have a conversation around how you're going to pivot. How much did we spend you know, do we let this go on for a year and just be transparent? Because the hardest thing about being a, a smaller marketing department is sometimes you're the gatekeeper to all information. So you can really make things look how you want, right? Uh, but having the wherewithal to say, this is my transparency to the team because sales can see it up there. I'm putting this hard revenue number or however you want to look at it on the board so everyone can hold me accountable as well. That that's how you gain the trust. Hundred percent, especially owning when it doesn't go well. Like, gosh, I remember one of the biggest L's I ever took. Uh, speaking of L's, uh, <laughs> as a marketing director was when I I bought a programmatic uh, programmatic advertising package for it was a five figure package and it flopped. Ooh, the traffic was horrible, and I had to go present on that to my president and just own that that was a huge waste of money. And we will just not do that again. We will invest in other things that are more impactful. <laughs> But you'll know why to invest. That's the cool yeah. thing, right? I One, I won't do this again. Two, I didn't do this for a year without telling anybody. Right. And then just moving on to the next item. And now we're going to be bigger, better, better because. that That's a, that's that's how you get better. 100%. Yeah, you build a lot of trust that way. I think you, you sort of hinted at that, Lindsay, which is like if you own up to it after three months, then everyone knows that you're not going to continue making that mistake and sweeping it under the rug for a year. Right. Um, Lindsay, I, I think this episode is going to be called taking W's and taking L's or something like that. Um, but, uh, I like that concept. Um, but let's, uh, let's wrap it up with your final thoughts, both on, you know, how, how marketers should be thinking about owning a revenue number or a set of numbers and, and how that's, uh, impacted your career. Yeah. So the number one thing I would say to any marketers, I was lucky enough to have a sales mentor uh, every step of my career. 
So I learned really early the value of the number. And in my opinion, that is the reason marketing is in place, right? We're all driving towards that sales number. A business that is not profitable uh, cannot sustain a marketing department. And that's just something we all need to keep in mind. So I would say this, if you're unsure of where to start in owning a revenue number, have that sales conversation and make it a joint effort, even in how you measure it and get them involved early. If you don't understand sales, have that conversation with sales on what matters. And don't be afraid to ask the question. Uh, You know, you're sitting in a sales meeting, you hear these words, they're foreign to you. Uh, Don't be afraid to raise your hand or take, you know, your trusted, your champion leader to the side and say, what does that mean? And how do I turn around to make that matter? So the next time you present, you are speaking that language and you are having that same conversation. So I would say, first of all, start with your sales leader uh, and let them kind of guide you to what matters to them because that'll help you understand how to make marketing matter within your organization. Fabulous. That was fabulous. And actually, I can relate to that as well because my my first mentor was my sales director at Binzel and I did the exact same thing. I mean, I worked under him and worked closely with him to make sure that what I was doing aligned with the goals of sales. And it made me much more effective at my job as a result. hundred percent. Lindsay, this was phenomenal. Uh, Why don't you tell the people how they can get in touch with you, um, connect with you, talk with you, soak more of your knowledge up. Just uh, where's, uh, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, so LinkedIn, Lindsay Ojeda. Uh, I love to hear how people find me as well. So shoot me a note if you if you've heard me on here or or what you want to gain because I'm looking to learn from others too. I love this this new group of industrial marketers who are really looking to share what they've learned in their experiences. So. MJ, Matt, um, they're they're part of a really great group. So shoot me a note too on on what you're hoping to get or where are you or even where are you located? What market are you in? Just something to kind of start it off uh, from the normal uh, just blank connection message. Heck yeah. All right. That was Lindsay Ojeda, Director of Marketing for May Steel Industries. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was awesome. Thank you both. This was great. You can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please leave us a five-star review. It takes just a second, and we really appreciate it. And if you have more time than just a second, leave us a written review as well. Uh, We will be back next week with a new episode. And with that, I am Matt. And I'm MJ. And this is the Industrial Marketing Show. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.